You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Welcome to Business in Heels podcast, the podcast that inspires and educates women in business globally to succeed. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. So welcome to another episode of Business in Heels podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, brand and podcast strategist. Now, today's show is an exciting one. It's part of a two-part special series where we're speaking to contributing authors of the book, which Business and Heels is excited to be launching. So this is part one where we're going to continue to hear from each of the contributing authors that are here with me today as they share a little bit more about their personal stories and, of course, each of the chapters that they contributed. Now, Raw, real stories from nine resilient women. Now, here's a little snippet about the book just to provide you with some context. The world doesn't owe us perfection nor does it owe us eternal youth. That's just not how it works. And here are a few other things the world doesn't owe us either. Shame, guilt, ridicule, poverty, horror, impotence, violence, fear. Nonetheless, it seems we get an unhealthy dose of those sometimes too. Mostly, it's not a case of it, it's when or if, it's when. And while you can surround yourself with positive, like-minded people to help you through when it's all said and done, it's those lonely hours between 2am and 4am, I'm sure you know those ones, when we often find ourselves facing our demons. So let's welcome some of the contributing authors on today's episode where they're going to share a little bit more why they contributed their chapter. So we welcome Kim Wright. Tina Daisley, Lena, Lisa Sweeney, and uh, and Kirsten Kirsten Gunnis. Welcome, ladies. Thanks, Emery. Hi. Hi, Mary. Let's start with you because you are the CEO of Business and Heels International. Before we speak about your chapter, I'd love to find out, and I'm sure the audience would as well, is why you decided to uh, to create this project, why you decided to spearhead the book, which I know is going to be an incredibly important uh, and influential resource, especially considering what we are facing in the world mm. today if we're living in Victoria. Thanks, Anne-Marie. And look, you know, you never have that. Uh, gift of foresight. Had we known that we'd be facing the COVID situation, gee, it was more important than ever to um, put this book out. I guess, luckily for me, I get to talk to lots of women and um, it seemed that many had a burning story inside them and that the, the telling of the story would make the rest of us richer. And I think for many women, the biggest issue is confidence and got working through a lot of past experiences and many people get stuck in that mode and unfortunately allow some of those things that have happened in their past to guide them into the future, not necessarily in a positive way. And I thought as I was talking to various people, if we could come up with a story that was, you know, a book compilation of stories about resilience, perhaps that's something that people use as a tool to understand and maybe they could relate to various authors um, and the idea of doing a solo book was certainly not ever on the cards. The idea of doing compilation story, I think we're the richer for storytelling. It's part of our DNA. And so, yeah, we were pretty excited to to come up with the idea and put that together. Yeah, fantastic. And, of course, your chapter, Lisa, is Focus on the Good. I'll just read a little bit of, of a bio that you've sent here. And you said, you see it in your two children every day. They're calm 
and at times not so calm acceptance of things not going to plan and the resultant determination that leads to further experimentation, frustration, fun, growth, enjoyment, frustration again and the eventual pride that it is the hallmark of their success. So share a little bit more, Lisa, about what inspired you to, to write your chapter, Focus on the Good. Uh, I think, look, as I said to you, it's uh, one of those things most people look at me and think I've led a lucky life and I believe I have led a very lucky life. But along that way, there were highs and lows in that journey and I guess some of them could have um, been very pivotal in making me a different person to the one I am today. So I chose, um, after going through a very bad situation, to come out and focus on the good and I think, as I said, that's something that I see in my kids every day. And it's quite often something that if you can encourage other people to look at it from that perspective, it makes a huge difference. And it's interesting because already I've been getting some feedback about my chapter in the book. And for some people, it's already inspired them to look at um, some of those bad situations differently. So, And yeah. that was why I did it. Yeah, I, let's talk about um, looking at the the good in situations. That often has to become or be an intentional step, doesn't it? It doesn't happen naturally. Share a little bit of insight on that because I think this is a huge lesson we can all learn. Yeah, I think it's one of those things when something bad happens, you often tend to dwell in the moment. You reflect and circle back over and over again on um, pain and suffering of the time. And quite often that's a really negative thing to do. Uh, and you assume that lots of other people are going to be um, looking at you negatively or not supportive. And yet it's quite the opposite. And I think it's uh, lots of people tend to go insular and uh, keep things to themselves because they're either embarrassed, feel guilty, um, really not quite sure how to express those emotions. And I think sometimes it's the sharing of the emotion and uh, just letting it out there that allows other people in to actually support you. So, Yeah, one of the other things that uh, I know that you've said, and I, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about this because I think this is a fabulous as well, is that people, when they don't take themselves too seriously either, can often find that they can bounce back. Is that something that you've developed in, in your life and seen in others or was it something that you've had to learn? Because bouncing back, you, ha you have some people that no matter what happens, they, they don't take themselves too seriously, they can have a bit of a laugh and then off they go to find a, a solution. How did that um, kind of play out in, in your life and maybe that experience that happened with you? Uh, look, I think probably I had an element of that in me, but it certainly it's a skill I've honed over the years. And I, I'm sure because this particular incident I wrote about happened in my early 20s, um, I don't think I was nearly as good at bouncing back as I am today. And uh, it's something the, the shorter time you can have to wallow in whatever the problem is, um, the better it, it is for you. So I think learning skills and techniques and just having a bit of a laugh with people. And look, as I said to you, I have a very lucky life. I'm surrounded by a very supportive family and they're heaps of fun. And it's quite often in those moments of, um, you know, challenge, we all go, <laughs> you know, move on to the next thing. So. 
Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Lisa. We'll probably circle back round before we finish the show and uh, maybe get you to share just one insight that you'd like to leave with people. But let's move on to Kim. Kim Wright, your chapter was called Understanding and Forgiveness. I'll just read a snippet here from your bio. You say, my positive nature and unshakable belief that I will come out the other side has gotten me through many of life's adversities. Combine this with an insatiable desire for more from life and you get a life that has constantly evolved. The truth is it hasn't been easy and I certainly have taken the scenic route to reach the point where I now make sense of my life. I love that, taking the scenic route. So uh, Kim, share a little bit more about what inspired you to write this chapter, Understanding and Forgiveness. My, I guess the main reason I wrote this story is because I wanted to acknowledge my younger, my younger self because she has played a major role in my life and in the overcoming the adversities and she's the essence of who I am. And the other reason I, was, I wanted to write the story is I have a burning desire to be an inspirational speaker, particularly to young adults in regards to where we start in life is not necessarily where we end up. So they say to be, a you know, you can do it one of two ways. You become a speaker and then you write a book or you write a book and then you become a speaker. So I saw this as a way of being able to bring this to fruition. I love that. And, you know, uh, how often uh, it would be something that we'd all want to do is to write a note or write a letter to our younger selves. And of course, you've written a, a chapter, which I'm sure many of the insights you would have shared with her are now insights that you share with others. What would you say would be the greatest gift or insight that you would like to share with her that you know is going to be so empowering. I mean, when you think of what's going on in, in our world today and, you know, with a lot of the challenges that many of our youth perhaps, you know, was the same age as you were, Kim, uh, a lot of challenges. So what would be that one insight that you would you'd really want to share and leave with her today? I think it really is about self-love and self-acceptance. There is a lot of challenges. Um, our young people, you know, even doesn't matter what decade or what year we're talking about, there are challenges when you're a teenager. There's a whole lot of body changes going on, a lot of conflicting messages. And in amongst that, we're meant to be knowing where we're heading in life. Now, you know, the current pandemic has brought in a lot of uncertainty. But you know what? Uncertainty is part of life. So I, I think... I'm fortunate because of my life experiences, I have developed resilience and I know that I will come through this and I know the world will come through it. How it will come through it, I don't know, but we will come through it. And it comes back then to the individual to have that unshakable belief in yourself that no matter what, you can take care of yourself and you will get yourself through this. Mm -hmm. Something that uh, you've said here, and I'm just going to read it, and it beautifully emphasises what you've just said about the self-love. I mean, often um, as young people, and even not so young, I know, you know as, as adults, as women, we can often take some borders, expectations and what others think of us. But I love the reminder that you've said that the belief of us being worthy, of being good enough, of being deserving, that's so important because when we don't have that 
certainty, we can often then be swayed by people's opinion of us. And I don't know about you, but it's it's not nice to, to feel that pressure, is it? What would you say to someone that perhaps still has a little bit of growth to go in accepting of themselves, even though maybe some circumstances has been that they wish that that, that hadn't have happened? But I know in your situation, in your chapter, you've certainly gone through that and grown through that. But what would you say if someone was still struggling through that? Do the work. Um, it's not easy. And I'm, I don't wish to play down anyone's struggles. But the answers are within you. Um, and you need to do that work. Now, sometimes you may need to get professional help to um, help you through that process. But you cannot, if life is too short. None of us can afford to sit around for too long. As Lisa said, sitting in sitting in the wallow of it, in the misery of it and, and playing the blame game. You know, the sooner you can call on your own resources and build that sense of self-belief, find people who believe you, who believe in you. Find people who support and encourage you and surround yourself with those people. Um, and, you know, and it's it's... There's no one answer. It's an individual journey. We all walk our life in the path that we choose. And I do believe that we choose it. And there will come a turning point in life for some people when they are fed up with their own crap and they decide to start making the changes to have a happier and a more successful life than the one that's currently being dealt to them. I love that. And what I really want to emphasize in something that you've just said, just in case people have missed it, no matter what's happening, you have a choice. And the choice may be what you've said, you know what, I'm going to get support. I'm going to surround myself with people who speak positivity into my life, who are there to support me. And it really needs to start with ourselves, doesn't it, uh, Kim? It really does. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. So Tina, let's let's move on to you. Your, your chapter is called The Upside of falling down. Let me just read a little bit about what you've said in your bio. You've said that you have found your happy place, supporting people and organisations to connect with their values, to redefine success for them on their terms. After spending 20 years working hard to tick all the boxes for success, you finally realise that the two most important things that you are missing are the same things that you believe are two of the most underused, misunderstood and undervalued words in the English language and certainly in our workplaces. I'm intrigued. Are you going to share what those two words are? Do we have to get a copy of the book? Tell us more about falling down. We have to get a copy of the book. <laughs> uh, Anne-Marie, um, for me, um, my story is about the surprise of my story, I suppose, and that um, as I, I've, over the last couple of years I keep getting asked to share my story and then I get asked to come and uh, speak to people around resilience and run workshops and things on resilience and it made me kind of reflect on other people's perception of my story and I realised that what was surprising to me could very well surprise um, most of us or many of us for, for certain because we're all so busy beavering away doing what we think we need to be doing and doing what we think is the right thing to do um, that 
sometimes we actually forget to check in if we're doing the right things and that can have pretty big consequences. Yeah. Was that something that um, you you learned or observed? Because, you know, sometimes we learn our greatest lessons after it's kind of been repeating over and over again. And I love the way that Kim said, sometimes you just get to a stage where you go, you know what, enough is enough. So how did that pan out for you? Was that a lesson gradually over time or how did that work? Uh, that worked like a brick wall. So um, I ha- I was incredibly skilled at ignoring my reality and uh, had an amazing facade up about how well I was doing with everything and coping with this crazy world that I was had created for myself. And then um, my body um, was the message and uh, so it certainly wasn't a slow dawning. I didn't have this moment of reality. I got really sick and I couldn't go to work anymore. And so... Um, after literally seven weeks of being just um, confused, I suppose, about why on earth I wasn't just going back to work and what was the matter with me, and then um, lots of conversations with psychologists and journaling and reflection, that's when the, that's when the reflection and the insight came um, when I had to um, remove all the barriers that I'd put up so that I could create this own reality for myself. That was a bad sentence, but hopefully you know what I mean. You know what you've said in that I think is such a lesson for all of us. We just push often, don't we? We push, push, push. We put expectations often that are so high on ourselves and, and expectations from others, which often aren't expectations that they have, to the point where our bodies finally kind of get to a stage where they go, well, if you're not going to take control of the situation, I'm going to take control and I'm going to, you know, force you you to rest. If you could go back, and why I'm asking to share this, I know that there's going to be other women and maybe even men that are pushing, pushing, pushing and not noticing the signs that their body is saying or maybe even taking heed of the people who love them and are close to them to say, no, you need to slow down, look after yourself, you know, give yourself some space and grace to rest. What would you say? Maybe similar to, I think, uh, what Kim was saying, she would would have loved to write this to her younger self. What would you say to that younger you, uh, you know, some of the warning signs to take heed? Oh, do you know, um, I get asked this a lot actually and um, it is about listening to those other people and so, the, 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 my advice to everybody, and if I could turn back time, would be that when I was well and when things were kind of humming along nicely for me, I wish I'd sat down then and thought about what are kind of the signs that I might be losing control or what are the signs I'm getting too tired and I'm starting to not listen to everybody. Um, I think of it as a kind of well-being traffic light. But um, as part of that, knowing who your team is and so identifying the five or six people in your world that you know truly love you and know you well and have nothing but your best interests in mind and make a commitment to yourself that if two or three of them raise with you that they're concerned that instead of just brushing them off you might just find the space to listen to what they say and just entertain the conversation because the people that knew me best saw this coming and um, I'm, I'm great at convincing myself let alone everybody else that things were okay and so I just kept pushing them away there were plenty of conversations that people tried to have with me that I dismissed. Mm. Would you say that uh, often we put expectations on ourselves but we and as women what we tend to do because we wear a lot of different hats best friend mum 
wife, uh, you know, business partner, all of those things, we try and stretch ourselves way, way, way too thin. One of the things I think is women that we often struggle with, and maybe we'll open this up later, but um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and insights into this. We find it hard to say no, no to things that may come across our desk or no to things that other people, because often we, we're the doers, we go, you know what, Tina can do that. And then you may not have the, um, you know, the, the the heart to say, look, I'm sorry, I'm stretched so thin. Let's talk about that because I think a lot of women struggle with no, that word N-O, which, by the way, I don't think is one of the words in the book that you're talking about. But share a little yeah. insight about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right. And, you know, the reality check for me was that um, I thought it was all about wanting to help people that made me say yes too easily. And then I had to realise that it wasn't so much about helping people, but a fear of letting people down, which led to this uh, whole rail like, um, progression of realisations around it's not just about letting people down, it was about people then not thinking I'm good enough or I'm not worthy. And then the old imposter syndrome, you know, I had to embrace that and realise that it was about the fact that all of those moments where I would knowingly choose something and I call them um, unconscious compromises where because of the auto filters and decision making that I've built up in myself I say yes to people knowing full well that I don't have capacity or time is an absolute fear of um, not having validation from other people because I didn't have the belief in myself and that that's I mean that's an ongoing journey um, and I applaud anybody that's um, on the other side of it, but I suspect it's a lifetime journey for most of us. For all of us. And it's interesting, isn't it? We have this whole conversation in our minds and then we do finally have the courage to say no and the people, the other person says, oh, okay, then I'll find someone else or I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I just spent half of my, you know, an, an hour worrying about nothing. So, yeah, yeah love that, love that, Tina. Kirsten, Kirsten, your chapter was called I Accept Me. Let's just read a little bit of your bio. You have worked internationally and domestically in the telco industry and you know how hard it can be to succeed as a woman on your own merit. Now, you're passionate about supporting women to win the rewards they deserve. And with over 25 years of experience within operations management, you have seen it all. Love that you've captured that in this book. So I accept me. Tell us a little bit about your thinking behind uh, writing that particular chapter. I think, um, and, and the message is similar to all of them from everybody else. It's 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 a process that we all go through. Um, because when we're born, there are expectations placed upon us. You know, our parents always want um, the best for our children. Um, and so unfortunately for some of us, we take those expectations uh, and really run with them. Um, and I think, you know, the my personality type, um, it just took all of those and it wasn't until I was um, diagnosed with a mental health issue in my early 30s and quite a severe one um, that it, you know, it really required me to stop and build a support team. I had probably already unconsciously built a number of coping mechanisms um, for myself, um, but and and I was able to get through right up until um, you know something quite disastrous in my personal life occurred, which required me to actually just stop and and think um, and go, oh, um, perhaps 
my life isn't what it's all been cracked up to be and um, are these decisions that I've made um, consciously or unconsciously, uh, is there perhaps um, changes that I need to make? Um, and, and, you know, it can be, it's a difficult process to go through, I think, Anne-Marie. Mm. You know, you mentioned a number of different things, you know, different aspects or insights. Do I need to do this and this? And often the answer is, well, actually, all of them or a combination of them. And isn't it interesting? I think, you know, a number of uh, the ladies here today have said it was something that happened, that occurred, that really forced you to make a decision in the changes that, uh, you know, to support you in moving forward. And how wonderful it is that now you're able to share those insights especially for other women that may be experiencing the same things. What would be one thing that you would, similarly if we take a leaf out of uh, the chapter in Kim's book and, and also Tina, sharing one insight that you would have loved to share with your younger self, which of course you'd love to speak into a life of maybe a woman who is starting to kind of build up the tension, things are happening. What would you say to her to say, you know what, you really need to take a step back now uh, and do this? What would that be, Kirsten? Um, that's a really interesting question, Emery. Um, a little bit differently to perhaps, um, say like Tina, um, I could manage and, and whilst I probably ha had put that false expectation up for everybody else and the perception, um, I pretty much saw myself as a bit of a corporate rock star. I was traveling internationally, um, whilst I was, you know, undergoing, um, treatment, um, changing of drug regimes. Um, it, it's, there wasn't any one thing. I think I just had to come to terms with that. I didn't quite like who I had become. Um, and I, I needed to make a wholesale change and it meant changing everything in my life, um, which, and, and there wasn't one, you know, whilst there was a catalyst that brought about this, there, you know, I still managed for well into my, you know, early 40s um, until it all finally, you know, fell over in a heap. Um, I, and I think a lot of people do that. Um, whilst there might be an epiphany point, it, it's hard to get to that acceptance point because you have to go through so many things until either something physically stops you. Um, and I just don't know that there was anything I could have turned around and said, oh, okay, how can we, I think I had to learn all of these lessons. Um, I think that's what it meant. You know, I think sometimes whilst we might complain about all of the things that are put in front of us, it's actually what makes us stronger. If we don't, ex if we don't experience these things, we don't learn from them because mm. we're just not going to have those real life experiences. And so, how do you understand? You know, the very difference between empathy versus sympathy. Yeah. It's you know, I, I just and I think that's that whole acceptance thing. You know, I, um, it's a hereditary mental health issue. Um, yeah, the beginning, it was a gift I could have given back. But unfortunately, you have to come to some form of acceptance so that you can actually manage forward. Yeah. Something that uh, just, you know, from your bio here that you were working in very much, um, I, I would imagine, 
male-dominated industries, you know how hard it is to succeed as a woman. Something that I have really found when I'm interviewing incredible women such as yourself and all the the, the panels uh, members here is that, you know, you're really skilled and you've got strengths in certain areas and we may find ourselves, you know, in a workplace or in a situation where we have to what we feel we take it upon ourselves that we have to prove ourselves and we end up working so much harder and look in some instances it's great because you know we're learning new things and we're overcoming challenges and all of that but in hindsight sometimes it's just being the best that we can be with our own unique strength and not having to feel like we are competing against anyone and just bringing our best selves to the workplace would you say that that's fair that often you felt like you were competing maybe the environment was such that you needed to speak a little bit more about this because I think so many women can relate to this look unfortunately I just don't think the commercial world allows um, you know I quite often worked 17 hour days seven days a week um, I was living on a New York time um, zone from here in Australia. Um, so my nights were spent permanently on the phone. It is a very competitive environment because as you climb that corporate ladder, there are less and less opportunities um, to be promoted, to be given opportunities. And you have to be doing more than just your day job. You have to be visible. You have to know how to network well. Um, and unfortunately, it requires everybody to work hard if you're wanting to move forward. And that's just corporate. Um, and I'm, I'd, I'd like to think it will change, but I'm, I'm not quite sure that it will after all these years. It's built in, it's got its built in rules. And as organisational structures flatten, it's getting harder and harder to find those those roles that we want to go for. Um, and if the culture is not set up correctly, then it, it, it makes it just as, as difficult. And, you know, I quite often would be the only female in the room with very, um, you know, type A, a males. Um, and so you're competing um, not just against all of those other people in the room, you're competing against the fact that you're the only female in the room and they quite, quite often don't get you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you need to, you need to sometimes, you know, whilst there's that whole thing of you need to be um, authentic in your own self, you know, unfortunately, because you are in a competitive environment, you can't just, oh, have a little fit and have the emotions for that day because, you know, that's quite often how women um, cope with frustration is that we do cry um, and I'm I'm no different to anybody else um, but that can't be seen because unfortunately uh, that'll come back to bite you <laughs> um, so it, it, a lot of those things it's not easy um, and you know and if the corporate world could be you know a lot more accepting of that because I think there's a lot more men that are not that competitive either and they really don't want to be in those environments um, but unfortunately, that's just how it's built. Yeah. Well, all the more reason to join organisations such as Business and Heels so we can all open up our own businesses and change the culture or get in the, those leadership roles and change the culture because I'm sure, as you have said, Kirsten, there are a lot of men that would be going, finally, let's... Um, all, all appreciate this. Amazing, amazing, ladies. And, of course, the book is called Raw. Lisa, just before we do a bit of a roundtable just to finish things off, um, how can people get a copy of the book? What's the best way for them to do that? 
Um, <clears throat> we'll, set, we'll send you out a link to it. It's on our website and it's the easiest way to do it. And then, you know, if you want to list which author that you've um, connected with, it's a great part of it. So www.businessinheels.com. But aren't, yeah. aren't all the author's stories amazing, Anne-Marie? Like you've only tapped half of them so far. Oh, that's right. We've got another half of the authors um, coming up in a, about an hour uh, this time. But it, it's been, I mean, we have. We've just scratched the surface. But what I love about this is that, you know, we see that, you know, often as women, I think we also can be in the perception that we're the only ones that experience that. And then we start having other conversations, you know, being a little bit vulnerable with the, the trusted friends and having these conversations, we realise that they have also, uh, you know, maybe gone through something and we can learn from that. And that's one of the things I think they we used to do a lot more of, you know, in other communities where they would still get together. I mean, we can't do that in Melbourne at the moment, or we can do that via Zoom, have the uh, the gatherings where some of the older women, you know, the generation was able to speak into the lives of the younger and share the lessons, you know, which I think is beautiful. And now, of course, you've captured it in the book. Let's go round, um, starting with you, Lisa. What would be one last insight that you would love to share today, maybe relative to the book or maybe just for women who may be listening today when we're talking about resilience and, and building resilience? Yeah, and I think, well, my message would be no matter what you're feeling at the moment, there's nothing that's that bad really. You know, go and talk to other people, get connected, you know, share any problems that you're feeling. Um, now is the time to be more connected than ever. I love that. And uh, maybe, Kim, what would be one last thing that you would like to share, one insight about resilience? Um, very good question, Anne-Marie. Um, resilience. Now, resilience is a, it's an interesting word and I won't, go, I, won't, I won't digress and go into my perspective on, on the word itself. But it, to become resilient, you, you need to first of all have the issues. You know, we can bounce through life um, thinking it's all just fantastic and nothing really ever affects us. But you can only ignore it for so long. And it will come back and bite you. And so you're probably doing yourself a disservice by not recognising it earlier. I know myself it took, it took. oh, look, it was in my 40s before I actually said to myself I'd had enough and I wanted to make some changes. But looking back on that, though, um, I'm not sure who said it, but um, the, I think it was Kirsten. You know, the, those experiences I had, I had to keep repeating those until I said to myself, I've had enough and I want to make the changes. So I guess my message is get to that I've had enough stage quickly so that you do make the changes to become resilient because otherwise the universe will keep sending you these um, experiences until, until you get it. Brilliant. You didn't see this, Kim, or, or the rest didn't see it. But when you said that, learn it quickly. I could see everybody in the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes, I mean, maybe this is just me, you can tend to be a little bit stubborn. It's like you have to. But like the second time round, and if you have to do it the third time round, make mm -hmm. sure it's the third time lucky. Get the learnings. Mm -hmm. Get the support uh, that you need. I love that. What about you, Tina? What would be uh, one last insight that you want to share? Uh, mine would connect really well to kids, actually, because I call it the silent B in resilience, which is boundaries. 
So I think um, particularly those of us sort of in our 40s, we grew up without needing to learn our boundaries because they were there physically. Our parents were uh, in an environment where offices were physically unlocked and locked and, you know, life was compartmentalised. And so we were raised in a way where those were assumptions that that would be what we would have throughout our life. So we've not only not learned how to identify the boundaries we need, but we don't know how to implement those boundaries so that we feel comfortable that they work for ourselves and everyone around us. And so um, I just really encourage everyone to have a really good think about what the boundaries are and their limits are that they need so that they really can um, get through things quickly. Because of course, resilience doesn't mean you don't have a hard time. Resilience means your recovery is quick, as Kim said. So um, boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Yeah, I love that. And it's true, isn't it? I can't remember whether it was a colleague or a client that said this. We talked about resilience being a muscle. And the only way to build it is to have challenges. You know, if everything, I think you said this, I think you said this, Kim, that if everything's perfect in your life, well, guess what? You're not really going to build your resilience. And I think sometimes, you know, when we, as parents, we want to protect our kids, but sometimes it's in those challenges, you know, little ones as they're getting older and, and so forth, supporting them and being able to to, to address that and, and to have different ways of looking at things can be the best gift because there's going to be challenges always, isn't it, in their lives. So Kisten, one last, one last insight from you. What would you like to share? Look, I think if you do find that you're, you know, going through something, get the right assistance. Um, build a support team around you. Um, you know, because you re until you get to that acceptance, it's really hard to move forward. Um, and that's what I found because you're always pushing back on whatever the situation is because you're either going, look, this is the way I want it to be or I just don't accept it. So, you know, so therefore it's not real. Um, you know, as Kim said, you do have to get to that point at some point really quickly um, because you need to accept it because only then once you've accepted your situation, can you then go, all right, this is where I'm at. What am I going to do um, to change it? Um, or perhaps it's a mindset approach is that, yes, I can accept this and now my mindset has to change um, and that's when I can actually make a bigger difference to my life. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant insights. Well, thank you, ladies. It's been a, a fantastic part one to the book uh, Raw and uh, I, I'm sure that the chapters that you have each shared as well as the other chapters that the authors which are coming up have shared is certainly going to be an incredible resource that we're going to each want to have on our bookshelves, especially considering what we're going through at the moment. We certainly are building our resilience muscle whether we like it or not and we can certainly take insights from each and every one of you. So, Lisa, did you want to say one more thing or we finish? No. Yeah. Thank you, Anne-Marie. It's been much fun. Terrific. <laughs> yes, it has. Well, thank you, ladies. And, of course, the book is Raw and Business in Heels. Go and check them out. I know that we're sharing this across different platforms. Please reach out to all the individual owners uh, or authors as well across their social media platforms. And bye for now. Bye.